Hello, welcome to today's episode of Juicing the Numbers, your statistics in sports podcast. I'm your host, Joshua Tracy. And I'm Corwin Eller. And uh, coming at you on Wednesday, you're listening to this on Thursday, but it's Wednesday, February 3rd, quarter after 7 o'clock in night. Um, and as we're gearing up for the Super Bowl happening this Sunday. Um, so we're going to talk about a little bit of the um, matchup between the two teams as well as a recap, finally, of the championship games from a couple weeks ago. Um, we were missing Corwin to have that discussion last Sunday. Corwin has pushed, braved on and is now here via um, his cell phone. So if there's a difference in audio quality that you notice, you're not uh, thinking things, you're not crazy, uh, Corwin's off the phone today. Um, and we'll be also crazy, be talking... not based off of that. Right. It's not going to be the deciding factor. Uh, and we'll also be talking about the Nolan Arenado trade as well as a, fe- a few other sparse topics if we have the time. So, Corwin... You ready to get started? Absolutely. All right. Well, then let's uh, let's start with the upcoming, uh, or I guess a recap of, of the championship games, and then a look forward to this weekend's matchup, um, this weekend's Super Bowl matchup. So first, let's start in the NFC. Um, the Buccaneers played the Packers, and this is all going to be old news now, but we finally get the chance to talk about it, so fucking deal with it. Uh, the Packers dropped the championship game, as seems to be um, the running history of the Packers. Uh, Twenty-six to thirty-one, Bucks winning this one. Uh, in terms of uh, quarterback play, Tom Brady went twenty for thirty-six, two hundred eighty yards, three touchdowns, three interceptions, a sack, for a quarterback rating of seventy-three point eight. Aaron Rodgers went thirty-three for forty-eight. 346 yards, three touchdowns, one interception, five sacks, good for a quarterback rating of 101.6. Corbin, what did you think about this game? Boy, that is a game that I remember vividly. Um, Do you believe me? No. (laughs) It it feels like it was a year ago now. I'm disappointed with the outcome. I, of course, wanted to see the Packers go to the Super Bowl, wanted to see Aaron Rodgers have a chance to go win it again. And, of course, we're all sick and tired of Tom Brady being there. You know that as much as I do. Um, but, man, the, the Bucks defense is, is seriously legit. I mean, I know we've been talking about that for a while now. It was something that we talked about to start the season. It was uh, an up-and-coming unit that dominated last year that people didn't really notice and now we're looking at it and saying oh they shut down the Packers they've shut down most teams you know they've come across this year Uh, can they stop the Chiefs now and we'll see obviously you know this Sunday and and you'll hear from us in the grand scheme of things shortly as the season's practically at an end but um, man it, it just goes back to honestly how poorly i think the packers drafted this year um you know they take they trade up to take jordan love in the first round they take uh not aj but uh dylan out of uh boston college with i want to say a second or a third round pick basically their second pick um and both of those guys are second third stringers they're not impact positions that the packers needed um and you know, you've kind of seen that when 
even when Devontae Adams isn't shut down because it's hard to shut that man down, you know, the, the limited number of weapons negatively affects the Packers. They have holes at different areas on their roster that could have been fulfilled with those draft picks. And I think, you know, for a team that is looking to compete and we're one of the few favorites to go to and win the Super Bowl, especially out of the NFC, you kind of would hope that they addressed some of their shortfalls and they didn't. And now we're kind of sitting here looking and having to ask what if, you know, obviously we won't be able to know what the outcome would have been if they went elsewhere in the draft, but it can't be any worse than where they are now, which is sitting at home. So, yeah. Uh, I, this is uh, one of the oddest games from the Packers side that I could think of because their offense seemed like they were either unstoppable or going to go three and out. No in between. Um, there was a series of bizarre coaching decisions down the stretch. Matt LaFleur deciding to not go for it on fourth and goal and instead take a field goal when they were... How much were they down by when that actually happened? Hold on. Because um, it was a... It was for a, that to be uh, effective. Yeah, let me, uh, let me find it here. I got the play by play. Um, yeah, so they... Oh, man, I don't, I don't know how to read this shit at all. This is so weird looking. What the fuck? What does this mean? Oh, it was fourth and eight. That's what that means. Okay. And then... Oh, those are the yardages. Wow, this is... Sorry, folks. But I, I never usually look at the NFL play-by-play because we never have a reason to, and it looks vastly different from the way that the MLB one does. Um, yeah, so it was a 26-yard field goal. It was fourth and eight from the Tampa Bay 8, and that field goal, let me scroll up to the top, was the final score that they made, so that means that they were down um, 23-31. to 31. Like, they needed, they needed a touchdown either way, and they put the ball back in the hands of Tom Brady with um, two minutes left in the game and thought that would work out for them? I, I, I just am confounded by it. They took the ball out of Aaron Rodgers' hands, and while Aaron Rodgers, I don't think, had a great game by Aaron Rodgers' standards, he still had a f- great game by average quarterback standards. A one-on-one passer rating against what is a very stout defense with the Buccaneers is really fucking good. Um, again, I know they had like their they didn't capitalize on like any of the interceptions that they had, which was mind-blowingly frustrating. Uh, but still to to force yourself to have to make that kind of comeback and then not even getting the chance to because like no shit uh i, I don't i don't know how he are, like Matt LaFleur already apologized i don't know how you stomach that as as a packers fan like that was hard for me to stomach as a as a neutral observer that was frustrating that was beyond frustrating I don't even know necessarily if that's something that you do stomach or if that's just something you say, man, that is crippling. That is season ending. There's no excuse. Time to drink heavily and move on. Uh, 
I yeah, I don't even know. Um, they couldn't get the run game going all game. Uh, Devontae Adams, like you said, was shut out. I guess as much as you can shut the men out. Although Marquise Valdez Scantling had a, had a had a great game with over a hundred. Uh, receiving yards on the other side of the ball. Chris Godwin had a wonderful game. It was kind of like Godwin and Evans had similar games to Valdez, Scantling, and Adams. It was interesting. Both wide receiver ones coming in like half the yardage of their, um, I guess, wide receiver two counterparts. Uh, anyway, yeah, this was a this was a just a. <laughs> frustrating fucking game. and it's it's one of those things where so green bay ended up you know winning the battle of time of possession which corwin and i have often discussed is it a meaningful stat or not because on the one hand it shows some level of prowess that you're able to hold on to the ball for that long you're not getting three and outed so to speak um however that doesn't necessarily mean just because you held onto the ball for a long time that you scored a lot and Green Bay had a near 10-minute advantage in uh, time of possession. And, I mean, they weren't... They weren't even particularly close to winning this game almost at any point. I mean, they they played from behind, I think, the whole game. And, you know, you look at that time of possession, and at some point, that metric goes from being... Oh, they did a great job holding onto the ball and not giving the other team a chance to instead, they took way too fucking long to score and it cost them points on the board. Or they didn't score at all and just wasted time for themselves in the back end. You know, it it's not the easiest thing to have these conversations post-facts, you know, hindsight's always going to be 2020 we're always going to be able to sit here and after seeing the outcome and see how everything played out how different choices would have affected it and that's why you kind of need to focus on um, process versus results in this case i just you know the process preached that you go one way with it and the packers went the other way and you know, it's uh, it's not easy for us to sit here and say how things would have gone differently. You know, it's the same as with the draft. The same goes with this game. You know, it you can't you can't say one choice would have made the difference in the game, but the choice of going for it in the situation they were in, fourth and eight on the goal, you know, goal to goal situation, that screams go for it you gotta go for it you can't put yourself in a losing situation and just pray that you happen to get x number of possessions left with x amount of time left to give you a chance to win the game so that's why we have these discussions that's why twitter blows up every time it happens it's you know it's avoidable these situations are avoidable well Hats off to uh, to Todd Bowles, doing a great job. Love to see him succeed. Fucking love Todd Bowles. I was upset that his tenure with the Jets didn't work out because he seems like a great dude. So I'm really happy he's getting um, good success 
with Tampa Bay, happy for Bruce Arians. I am going to be rooting very hard for the Chiefs, <laughs> but I'm happy for the team. Uh, I guess let's bring that over to... Oh, also, actually, one other point. Because um, it really bothered me seeing it on Twitter a lot the next day about... Um, and this, is, this is not meant to be necessarily a knock against Tom Brady. But Tom Brady did not win them this game. No, of course not. Tom Brady put them in almost in every every possible scenario to lose this game, and then the Bucks defense bailed him out. I I mean, this wasn't a bad game by Tom Brady necessarily. Three interceptions is really fucking ugly, but outside of that, he played like Tom Brady with a bunch of gorgeous fucking throws, um, and managing the game perfectly, but. If they were, if the Bucks had lost this game, it would have been on the back of likely on the back of one of those interceptions. And Tom Brady's performance here left so much. But it was crazy because everyone's like, "Oh man, he keeps doing it." And it's like, over the course of the regular season, yeah, that's Tom Brady. This game, fucking no way, man. That's Todd Bowles. That's my hot take anyway. I really hate how well Todd Bowles has done both pre and post Jeff's tenure because he is, you know, he's shown to be a, an excellent coach, uh, excellent, excellent coordinator at the very least. I hate to say that I really wish I could see how he performed with other teams that weren't the Jets. Maybe things could have ended differently for him, but you know, again, we'll never know. Hindsight's twenty twenty, but I think he's the kind of guy who uh, who will have a another chance before long. Yeah, I hope so. I hope he's treated as the opposite of Adam Gase, where his problems, Gase's problems in Miami, were overlooked because the Dolphins were bad, and people thought that it was a Dolphins problem and not an Adam Gase problem. I think Todd Bowles, it's the exact other way around. I think his problems with the Jets were Jets problems and not Todd Bowles problems. Um, I mean, yeah. So I, I hope he gets another job and that the people don't hold the, the, the Jets stint too hard against, uh, too hard. Against. I mean, fuck if go ahead. Honestly, with the way he's running that unit, uh, it won't be long because he's absolutely killing it. And I think that's pretty clear to see. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's so nice. I'm, I'm a fan, Todd. Um, it seems seen as anything fun with the advanced passing stats. We have been doing this a lot recently. Uh, nothing crazy. Nothing you wouldn't expect from the game. Tom Brady's bad throw percent was 28.6. That's pretty high. And Rogers's was, uh, 17.4, whatever. Um, intended air yards per pass attempt. Brady was 11.6. Rogers was 7.0. So they really didn't want to test the uh, Buck secondary deep, which is weird because I was thinking that they would, since the game plan for the Saints against the Bucks was to also not pass very deep. And I, one of I believe one of my comments after the divisional uh, divisional round was, let's see how the the Bucks do against um, deeper passing, and it seems as though they did not do that, which is interesting. Um, but oh well. Um, and the uh, uh, Packers won the yards after completion 
uh, game, but uh, honestly, who gives a shit about that when you're like like they won the yards after after the catch by zero point two yards per completion, um, and it's like who game gives game. a shit about that when you are losing the um, it completed air yards per uh, pass completion by three point eight yards. Like it, you know what? Like I'm very excited to see how the game goes Sunday because believe it or not. The Chiefs are really good at throwing the ball deep. So yeah. we'll get a nice little strength versus strength matchup. And uh, let's talk about it. So the, the Bills-Chiefs game was a wild one in which the Chiefs ended up coming out on top 38-24, squashing Buffalo's Super Bowl hopes, a team that has been there four consecutive times and has yet to win it um, and has not been there since their last consecutive appearance back in 94 that doesn't feel right maybe 93 one of those two uh i don't think i was born yet uh, <laughs> anyway um, i've honestly lost the, the the jumping off point of this so I, I don't know what team you're talking about uh the bill's last super bowl appearance oh uh yeah, yeah i my guess would be 94 yeah, I've, I I forget if it's one of those deals where it's like the 93 season, but the 94 calendar year. Uh, yeah, I don't know. And uh, also, it doesn't matter. So, <laughs> moving right along. Uh, 1991, 1992, 1993, and 1994. Yeah, I have them as 90, 91, 92, 93. So, calendar year was probably 94. Again, God, it's so dumb. Yeah. I, it's the most frustrating thing in the world when talking about football, basketball, and hockey, but not Anything baseball, but my baseball. friends. That's right. Um, Josh Allen went 28 for 48, 287 yards, two touchdowns, one interception, four sacks for a quarterback rating of 80.8. Uh, Pat Mahomes, our good pal Pat, 29 for 38. That's right. We know him well. Um, 29 for 38, 325 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions, one sack. Good for a 127.6 quarterback rating. Um, they had two, count them, two 100-yard uh, receivers in this game. Tyreek Hill, 172 yards uh, receiving, and Travis Kelsey, 118 yards receiving. No one had over 100 yards receiving for the Bills. Um, wow, the Bills didn't have a 100-yard receiver, nor do they have a rusher that went more than 20 yards whose name is not Josh Allen. That's interesting. Um, anyway, Corwin, tell me your impression of this game. That offense is tough to stop. Oh, my God. I, like, having Travis Kelsey, who is a absolute unicorn at tight end, you know, could easily go down as the greatest to ever play if, if he can continue this up through, you know, his prime and um, you know, doesn't fall off a cliff or get sucked into the injury volcano a la Rob Gronkowski, although Rob dealt, it, dealt with that his entire career and, and Travis never has come close to that kind of consistency. Um, you know, having a guy like that matched up with Tyree Kill, who is a defense breaker, um, it's I just do not know how you can game plan around a team with so much speed and so many different ways to beat you. Um, you know, I know there's teams like the Chargers who've come in and, and 
just applied a ton of pressure while still maintaining good coverage and it has made it work. But at the end of the day, it, it's an easier task than just being said. Um, the Bucks defense, I will say, is built to go up against the Chiefs, and I think they match up well. I just don't know if they're necessarily up for the task because I don't know if there's any defense that could be. Oh, man. You just watch, like, you watch the Chiefs offense, and throughout this game, you know, like, the Bills have a very good defense, and they really couldn't stop them. There's not much they could do. No. No. And, uh, and this game is deceivingly close because you take away that muff punt. And I, I know, you know, we give these caveats all the time. You can't just take points off the board, but for fun, uh, you take away that, that muffed punt in the beginning, you wipe away that crazy bullshit, uh, touchdown. Um, all of a sudden this game goes from being 24 to 38 to being 17, 38. I mean, it wasn't close at all. And I, I mean to say that the, um, Chiefs defense was phenomenal against what is a really what has been anyway a really dynamic Buffalo offense over the course of this season. They let up a decent chunk of rushing yards to Josh Allen himself, 88 rushing yards. Um but to the next three highest rushers after that, Devin Singletary with 17, TJ Yeldon with 15, and Isaiah McKenzie with 9. And then the receivers uh at, Cole Beasley was their lead receiver with 88 receiving yards. Stefan Diggs got held to 77. And then the uh, top two guys after that was Dawson Knox at 42 and TJ Yeldon with 41. Uh, I, I mean, this is, this is a really stellar performance against a team that had been able to do so much with in, uh, in the air, on the ground, and um, with uh, the quarterback's legs that having the Chiefs defense be so dynamic in addition to their offense being exactly what you'd want to see out of the Kansas City Chiefs offense, I, I mean, God, the, 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 the fucking Bucks are in for a world of trouble here. Honestly, I forgot TJ Yeldon played in the NFL until he had that one catch over the middle. I always knew he was around. It's just one of those players where it's like, wow, I used to think about him often, and I haven't heard his name in like two years. But yes, you are 100% right. The, the Bucks will have their hands full on uh, both sides of the ball. Yeah. Like, uh, for, for just some fun, you know, stats that may exist, but I'm not sure mean too much. Um, the Bills missed a combined nine tackles this, uh, for this game, this championship game. Nine missed tackles of the game. Buffalo, or sorry, the Chiefs missed six. Mm. Uh, you know, the, the, the Bills had uh, one, two, three, four, five players allow an over 100 quarterback rating. Uh, the Chiefs had, ooh, actually they had four. Interesting. Interesting. Um, anyway, they, oh man. Tarrant Johnson allowing 25 yards per completion. <laughs> Oof. But he had one really great play that one week. Ooh. But he didn't miss any tackles. Oh, yeah. So, made up for it. Best defensive MVP. 
Oh, man, that hurts. That really hurts. All right, so hold on. Let me ask you this. What is worse, allowing four catches on eight targets for a 50% completion rate and allowing 25 yards per completion but no touchdowns, or allowing two catches on two targets, so 100%, for only nine yards, 4.5 yards per completion, but a touchdown, which is the worst performance. If we're just talking about singular game, it's tough because it comes down to results versus... um, um, fuck, I just used the word earlier. Results versus process. Reward. Thank you. Corwin's <laughs> brain kicks into overdrive and finds the answer. Um, you know, obviously playing the position, giving up 100% of your passes, I'll bite for nine yards isn't good. You know, the only reason it probably was that low is because one of them was in the end zone. And they can't really do much to you, you know, burning you yards after catch, things like that, once they've already scored. Um, so I'll say that is the worst performance, but that's not saying anything positive for giving up 25 yards a catch. This is very fair. Uh, wow, the Chiefs only punted once. That's crazy. Hard to beat the Chiefs when, uh, when you only let them punt once. Wow, yeah. I mean, the Bills, to their credit, only punted three times, but, like, only punting once. My God, that is, ugh, unfucking real. Unfucking real. Um, let's see if there's anything fun in advanced passing today. Who do you think had a higher intended air yards per pass attempt, Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes? Uh, Josh Allen. Yes, Josh Allen attempted, or in, intended, I should say, yards per pass attempt. Patrick Mahomes, only 5.5. So Josh Allen, uh, at the end of it, had had intended, fuck me, had intended 342 air yards in this game. Pat Mahomes only intended 208. Um, And then in terms of completed air yards, Josh Allen actually completed 155 of them, whereas Pat Mahomes completed uh, 140 of them. So the difference between... Josh Allen's intended air yards and his completed air yards per completion is 1.6 yards. For Pat Mahomes, that difference is 0.7. And Pat Mahomes also wins the game of uh, yards after completion. His receivers picking him up good for 6.4 yards after completion uh, per completion versus Josh Allen's 4.7. Oh, man. He also had a third of Josh Allen's bad throws, three to eight. Um, although Josh Allen was pressured 22.8% of the time versus Pat Mahomes, 7.7. Fair difference. Yeah, wow. Wow. Pressure probably going to be the uh, deciding factor in the Super Bowl. Yeah. Can they How- pressure Pat Mahomes enough to slow him down? Can they pressure Tom Brady and force him to make mistakes? Okay, hold on, hold on. This is kind of insane. Um how many, many times, times? How, how many times did Josh Allen scramble? Uh, as a guess. Uh, how many does it say how many dropbacks he had or how many pass attempts? Pass attempts he had 48. Hmm. Uh, I'll say 30. 30 scrambles? 
Yeah, I don't know. Five. Okay. Did you scrambled 30 times? Yeah, you know, it was a wild game. Who would have thought? How many times do you think Pat Mahomes scrambled? Uh, I'll go six. Zero. Wow. I was closer, though. I'm getting better. How many times do you think Tom Brady scrambled? Zero. Zero. How many times do you think Aaron Rodgers scrambled? Eight. Zero. What? Yeah, this was this was. I didn't even. I didn't even I, think about I need this. Them to, I need them to define what they have a, a scramble listed as because I don't believe that for what I'm thinking of in my head. Right. Um. Because that means that this weekend, this this championship weekend was the most like in the pocket weekend I could possibly imagine, with four quarterbacks scrambling a combined five times, all of which coming from one of the dudes. I know Aaron Rodgers had a rushing touchdown this week, so maybe their definition of scramble is literally like just throwing the ball from out of the pocket. Um, I don't know, though. That's, that's fucking wild. Yeah, that's... I don't... I, I, not only do I not like it, I don't agree with it. Uh, yeah, man, I straight up don't know how to account for that because it feels wrong. Uh, anyway, I guess let's go to the uh, looking forward to uh, fuck my god damn it. Let's let's look forward to the fucking Super Bowl uh, between the winners of these championship teams. It's going to be the Kansas City Chiefs. Versus the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Um, and this will be the first time on record, which I actually found surprising, that the one of the two teams is playing in their home stadium. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers will kind of, kind of be the de facto home team uh, as this game will be played in Tampa Bay. Um, which I am surprised about only because I would have assumed with the number of games played in the various iterations of where the Dolphins play down in Florida, um, that being such a popular spot for the Super Bowl, especially in the early years, uh, and how good the Dolphins were back in the day that they would have done that already, but I guess not. Um, so this is a first. Uh, I, it's one of those things where I want to almost have an asterisk next to it, because this wasn't the intended location for the Super Bowl leading up to the season until things went crazy. Um, but it is really cool to see. You know, it, it's going to be an electric atmosphere. I am devastated that there won't be fans in attendance. There will be fans in attendance, Corwin. Well, all right, but 22,000 fans, not a full stadium. Right, right. Just those pesky nurses and doctors. Yeah, um, are they even really football fans? <laughs> Name you me nine quarterbacks. Intellectual and also like football. Yeah, that's illegal, especially if you're a woman. <laughs> Shoutouts to my women in sports. It's been a rough few weeks. We're sorry. We're happy you're here. Please don't leave. Uh, <laughs> seriously, we need you. Uh, anyway, please don't let us just be a a cesspool of dudes because sport takes are not going to get better. No, we will only have more barstool sportses. Oh, God. Um, barstool yeah. sports and 600 Colin Cowherds. 
Yeah. Uh, oh, also, by the way, um, I do have the glossary definition of scramble per pro football reference. It is rushes on plays designed as passes. So there's definitely some room for subjectivity uh, in there. So in my mind, a scramble is rushing out of the pocket. Like I get by textbook definition, a scramble is a rush by the quarterback when you're looking to throw. Sure. Scrambling out of the pocket, I, in my mind, still counts as a scramble. Yeah, I I would like to see that broken out between, like, scrambles resulting in rushes versus scrambles resulting in throws out of the pocket, or maybe just like a throw right. outside of pocket stat. Right, like broken protection forcing them out of the pocket. Because pressure isn't even the same. You know, you can, unless is that how they count pressures then? Are pressures throws out of the pocket for them? No, it's it's a combination of hurries, hits, and times sacked. So that's not really the same either. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Whatever. All right. So the Chiefs against the Bucks. Um, the Bucks, since this is technically a home game, are five and three at home this season. Uh, slightly better on the road as they finished their road record eight and sorry six and two. Uh, the Chiefs, however. We're perfect on the road this year, finishing 8-0. Um, in terms of points scored per game, Kansas City ranked this season 6th with 29.6. Tampa Bay ranked 3rd with 30.8. Points allowed per game, Tampa Bay ranked 10th with 22.6. And sorry, Kansas City ranked 10th with 22.6. Tampa Bay ranked 8th with 22.2. Uh, the takeaway differential, Tampa God damn it. Kansas City was eighth in the league with a plus six takeaway differential. Uh, Tampa Bay was sixth in the league with a plus eight uh, takeaway differential. Yards per passing yards per game, Kansas City was first with 303 per game, and Tampa Bay was second with 289 per game. Rushing yards per game, Kansas City was 16th with 112. Tampa Bay was 28th with 94. Defensive passing yards per game. Uh, this is allowed. Uh, Chiefs ranked 14th with 236 allowed per game. The Buccaneers ranked 21st with 246 allowed per game. And defensive rushing yards allowed per game. Uh, Kansas City ranked 21st with 122 allowed per game. And Can Tampa Bay ranked 1st with only 80 allowed per game. So this is a crazy tight matchup between these two teams based on their regular season performances. Yeah, uh, I'm, honestly, I don't know how you can... I don't want to break this game down by the numbers because at the end of the day, I, I don't think it's going to matter all that much. I think, you know, there's some Super Bowls where there's such clear distinctions between what teams do well and what teams fall behind on uh and it's it's clear to make those distinctions about how if this game is going to go this way this is how it's going to happen with this you know with these two teams both teams are just so proficient on both sides of the ball um it's really just going to come down to make or break plays and and minimizing mistakes and whether or not tom brady's just black magic voodoo fuckery in Super Bowl in the postseason is going to be enough to overcome the fact that Patrick Mahomes is 
made in a lab and not an actual human being. So uh, uh, as much as we talk, wow, as much as we talk statistics on this podcast and we pride ourselves in looking at the numbers and breaking these down, this is one of those times where I'm just sitting here thinking, I do not know how we can look at these numbers and decipher anything. Yeah, we're not going to be able to. Um, you know, I, I think this game is going to be very easy to fall into old tropes with because, for one, it's football, and it's just always easier to do that. Um, and for another thing, because of the characteristics of the people involved in this, you know, it's going to be... Kansas City is going to win based on the back of Pat Mahomes doing what he's been doing the past three consecutive seasons. Um, Tampa Bay will win, I think, as long as Tom Brady doesn't get in the way. Because if the if Tom Brady gives you the performance he gave last week Game against the Chiefs this week, yeah, they lose in a fucking heartbeat. I mean, three interceptions, three additional chances for the for uh, Andy Reid, Eric Bieniemy, and the Kansas City offense to have the ball, you're not coming back from that. I I I'm not going to sit here and tell you Tom Brady will lose them this game or win them this game because I don't I don't know. Um but he's definitely shown his age more in the playoffs, which makes sense. Breeze did too. The whole idea is that you get more tired the farther into the season you get and if you're in the playoffs, you have played more games. That's why there's a bye week between the championship weekend and the Super Bowl. Um I I don't know, man. I, I also wouldn't have predicted Tom Brady to throw for over 500 yards in that Super Bowl against the Eagles that he lost. So I, I've got no fucking clue. Um, we're, we're, we're not going to be able to know. Do you have a gut feeling on uh, winner and score? Yes, I think the Chiefs win. Ooh. Uh, I'll say 35-24. 27. I'll say 27. Chiefs. All right, I will also pick the Chiefs. I'll say I say the Chiefs win 42-35. to Okay. Nice and big. I'm all about it. Bigger is better, baby. Bigger hey, is better. Yo. We don't uh, hear that said often. <clears throat> Wait. Never at all. Wait, I don't know if that works, so I'm just gonna. Okay. Yep. <laughs> Where are we going now, Josh? Uh, so this is kind of it. This is our mar- marquee moment for the NFL season. After that, we'll be talking just a lot of uh, off-season bullshit and nonsense. Um, so get ready for that starting uh, next fucking Sunday. But uh, it could lead to some exciting talk as we have with the MLB. Um, Nolan Arenado. The star third baseman for the uh, Colorado Rockies has been dealt. He is being sent to St. Louis um, in what is one of the most confounding, frustrating, and bullshit moves of the whole offseason in a way that I am so shocked the league is actually letting this happen. because it's so anti-competitive. So, the Colorado Rockies are sending away third baseman Nolan Arenado and 
$51 million of Arenado's contract in exchange for left-handed pitcher Austin Gomber, infielder Mateo Gill, infielder Elahuris Montero, right-handed pitcher Tony Losey, and right-handed pitcher Jake Summers. So just five minor league dudes. Um, I'm not going to sit here and say that they're like slapdick prospects because I don't know who the fuck they are. Um, but because, you know, maybe they're actually good. I have no fucking clue. Uh, but wow. Wow. Um, so. Oh, God, I. Oh, God. So that means Nolan Arenado and his thirty five million dollar per year contract. So the way, hold on, just to break this down a little bit for the contract thing, and then I'll get to your take on it. Be, so the Cardinals added an additional year to his contract at the back end for $15 million. So between the $15 million owed to him in 2027 and the $35 million owed to him this upcoming season, um, that means that the Rockies are essentially paying for two out of the total of uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven years of his contract. So really, in actuality, the Cardinals are getting Arenado for seven years, but on a five-year deal with an AAV under $35 million a year. I'll do the math and get back to you on what it actually is. But uh, it's fucking disgusting. Uh, Corwin, what's your take on this? Uh, I know we always talk about these blockbuster trades, and there's been a handful of them that have come out this year that have not exactly been fair. Um, we talked Blake Snell trade. We talked the U Darvis trade, and both of those were, in my mind, you know, fair and major steals, respectively. A small steal and a major steal, respectively, even. Um, this just kind of blows it out of the water. Because at the end of the day, I get that the goal was to shed value or shed money. But at the end of the day, you are still spending an incredibly large sum for a guy who no longer plays for you. And what you got in return is nothing that will have an impact on your team anywhere close to what Nolan Arenado brought and the money that they are basically shedding from their liability is not going to be used to improve the team in any capacity close to what Nolan Arenado or all of those prospects bring to the table. Um, I saw two different reports that both jumped out at me. One was that the Rockies GM, uh, I honestly don't know his name off the top of my head. Uh, uh, Jeff British. Did yeah. not shop this around before making the deal. And teams were livid because what? they would have paid significantly more in order to get him. That doesn't make any sense. What? Supposedly, he is the worst communicator in all of baseball. And so he's like the opposite of Jerry DePoto. Did not, did not announce that he was looking to trade Nolan Arenado. What the fuck? And the owner of the Rockies came out and basically said, this is a fuck deal. I can't believe they made it. And we are not at all trying to rebuild the team. And we are still 
or at least we're still attempting to, you know, put a competitive team forward. Hold on. I want to stop you there because I don't believe that for a goddamn second. There is no way on earth this this deal happens without ownership approval. Uh, let's we, look for we, it. We talk earlier. all the time. I won't find it on Twitter, so I'm gonna. I, look through I, 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 even if, like, you know, I'm not trying to say that, like you're you're lying or whatever. I like if the owner said this, he is he is full of shit. Like there is no way a face of the franchise moves without ownership approval. Not and that's even for hands off owners. Like there's no way that the Yankees are trading Aaron Judge without getting Hal Steinbrenner's approval. And Hal Steinbrenner doesn't fucking pay attention to what happens with the goddamn Yankees because he is the owner uh, outside of like luxury tax shit. Um, like he lets Cashman handle the player shit. He just opens up the purse and that still would have to go by Steinbrenner. Like, like th- there's no team would do that. And if this owner is making it sound like that's what happened and he doesn't fire Jeff British, then it's exactly what he wanted to happen. Like, I, I, I Oh, Wow. I'm still trying to search for this, but I will find it before we finish up. Uh, while you're doing that, basically this deal ends up being uh, five years, $164 million, which is good for $32.8 million per year. Um, oh God, but it's actually for seven years, which is crazy. So actually, if you make this on a seven-year deal, it's $164 million for seven years, which is $23 million per year. <clears throat> They're getting they're getting Nolan Arenado for three million dollars per year less than Bryce Harper at a more premium position, and for a man who is a comparable hitter, if not slightly better. I need to pull up Bryce Harper before I slander Bryce Harper. Mm. But wow, I mean that's fucking insane. Uh, so this ESPN article that came out titled Colorado Rockies owner frustrated frustrated by Nolan Arenado trade, but team, quote, built to compete. Uh, quote, I am a fan. I truly am. I understand how they feel. To be quite honest, I would probably feel the same way. I do even feel the same way. When we signed Nolan, it was an attempt to keep Nolan for the rest of his career, but things do change. Uh, continues on. There are levels and variations of the rebuild process, but this certainly is not a total teardown and rebuild like certain teams have chosen to go. I think that if we were to chase that, if that were the case, that certain players would have already been traded. Um, and then talking about how they cherish Trevor as a shortstop, um, quote, it's very difficult to predict what's coming in the months. Uh, what's the coming months are going to look like, I cannot read today, in terms of deadline, in terms of the season in general, but we do not know what the pandemic and what the virus is going to do and how things will work out. Uh, we have an extremely talented team. They are built to compete. It is time for them to take the next step. Uh, then he goes off about how they've built pitching and they've done it internally. Um, and then... As for firing himself or British, Monfort answered, quote, I have thought about firing myself, but I have not thought about firing Jeff. What? Oh, wow. They. I'm 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 sorry. MLB has to start stepping in on some of this shit. This is ridiculous. This is absolutely ridiculous. Um, mm-hmm. 
Oh my god. And like how do you how do you how do you look Trevor Story and you know Herman Marquez in the face? You know, Charlie Blackman, he's old. Maybe he'll just hang out. Um but how how do you look those other dudes in the fucking face and say, We're trying to compete without Nolan Arenado? First off, I would like to correct myself. Uh, Bryce Harper is still a better hitter than Nolan Arenado. Um, I was wondering if he had tapered off much, but no, he's still really fucking good. Uh, however, Nolan Arenado has more war than Bryce Harper, which is uh, kind of funny because Nolan Arenado is so good at defense. Yep. And his defensive position is more um, valuable than Harper's that uh, Arenado with slightly worse hitting, but still very, very good hitting. Um, and one fewer year in the league still has more war than Bryce Harper. That's how valuable he is. Um, a career 120 OPS plus hitter uh, with four platinum gloves on top of eight gold gloves, four silver sluggers, and four all-star appearances. Uh, now, now we're not even going to... I don't think it's even worth talking about the St. Louis side of this because they're making out like such bandits. It's like pointless. Obviously, they did very well and... It's not like we're talking about the Padres where it's like, where is he going to slide in? Um, like, you know, we <laughs> we know. It's, uh, you know, it, he's going to play third base. He's going to be really good. He's going to be the starting third baseman. End of conversation. Um, I... Because what does MLB think that, that this is signaling to the rest of the league? I... I... I I I don't have an answer for you. Uh, I mean, this is about as anti-competitive as it gets. I and that's yeah, right? Like, like that's that's all I can keep looping myself back to on this trade because, you know, if you told me that cuz you know, how many fucking articles do we have to slog through about um how re, uh, you know, full teardown rebuilds are bad for baseball and anti-competitive? And you and I defended to certain extents, um, you know, real tear down rebuilds like we saw throughout the NFL and, you know, like the Orioles and Marlins went through in the MLB a few years ago, but they made serious attempts to get value where they could and try to, you know, they were middling teams that tried to get bad uh, as a way of figuring out what they had in their farm system, redeveloping their farm system, trading away pieces for full actual value so much as they could get and then going forward from there this is not that the 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 orioles before they tore down were trying really genuinely to be good the rockies absolutely were not like they were bad this past year um finishing fourth in the nl west at 26 and 34 um and last year they finished fourth as well but they they just made the playoffs in 2018, going 91 and 72, and had a uh, a wild card run in 2017 as well. Like like those two years look like they finally it looked like the Rockies finally found a rotation. It looked like you know uh, Nolan Arenado was only going to get better. Trevor Story was only going to get better. Uh, Kyle Freeland was up and playing really well. Armand Marquez was doing really well. John Gray was coming back to form. All this shit. And it frustrated fans at the time, 
because they weren't doing anything to address areas of need. You know, they weren't going out and getting another pitcher. They weren't replacing Chris Iannetta. They they weren't doing anything with the outfield where where you know Carlos Gonzalez was you know there and Gerardo Parra was fucking it up. They just kind of let that shit slide. And the point of what I'm saying is they at no point actually tried to get better. The Padres look at how good the Dodgers are and see that as a challenge. We are going to beat them and we're going to do what it takes to get the pieces we need to beat them. The Rockies tried nothing and it didn't work. And instead of either making a sincere attempt at being good or making a sincere attempt at stripping down, which they certainly have time to do. Um, you know, I, I guess we'll see what the weeks after this hold for us, but neither of those show any actual strategy. And that's part of this problem. If the Rockies were looking at how good the Padres got and how great the Dodgers still are, and see that maybe this isn't their time in the division and actually got value back for Arenado and then went around and tried to make some other trades and deals to acquire, you know, like, cause if they, if they traded Arenado and got back like Matt Carpenter, plus a bunch of prospects and didn't shell out half the money that they did, that would be a way different trade. Wouldn't it? Right. I mean, you know, you get back Matt Carpenter. He's, 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 he's still a good player. You know, you, 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 you slide him in a third for a while. You take some prospects and you see what they can do. You're not losing out any money and you're, you're trying to do a, a sly rebuild. This isn't that they got back. Nothing. They got back. Absolutely nothing that they can use in the immediate. And I, the reason that the immediate matters is because if they're not going to trade Trevor story and they're not going to trade Armand Marquez and they're not going to trade any of the other guys that they have that have actual value and strip it down to the, to the, to the fucking wood, then they're just, they're going to be the Arizona Cardinals or the, uh, sorry, the Arizona Diamondbacks where they're just stuck. But the Diamondbacks are at least trying to get better and getting stuck in the middle. The Rockies, it's like they're trying to get worse and are stuck in the middle. Uh, it's an otherworldly decision. I, I just can't wrap my head around it. It's maddening because there's really nothing being done here to improve the team, like you're saying. You know, I get that there are teams with budgetary restrictions that they need to work around, and COVID has reduced the amount of revenue teams are capable of making. But from the perspective of the Colorado Rockies, I don't see how you go and sign a guy to such a long extension and then almost immediately think, oh, shit, I can't afford that. Eh, let's get rid of him for fucking nothing. Because you can't trade him for... I just... It's maddening. It, it really just is maddening. And it, I really hate that we're kind of stuck in this situation of accepting that this is what teams want and are capable of doing and... You know, there's no real repercussions for doing so other than fans getting upset. Uh, so, for reference, 
the uh, the Colorado Rockies owner is estimated as being worth somewhere between three hundred and six hundred million dollars. Mm-hmm. The Which Padres is a lot of money, but you know, for a sports owner, not exactly a whole lot. The Padres owner net worth is five hundred million dollars. Yeah, these two teams are functioning exceedingly different. One team is scared to spend money and lose it. The other is willing to invest it to build a winning franchise and increase revenues. Oh, my God. So the, so the Rockies now have the uh, 18th lowest payroll. They're right in between the Minnesota Twins and the Kansas City Royals in terms of their payroll. Um, oh, my God. It's, it's just fucking dumb. It's just, and it's it's only going to get lower because you have to you, you have to assume, you know, that Trevor Story is going to be on the chopping block whether they say it or not. Charlie Blackman's going to want to get out. I mean, he's thirty five. He's not going to want to sit around on this type of team. He's going to ask for a trade too. Not that they're going to get much back for him anyway, but he's going to want to get gone. Wait, Ian Desmond is still on the team? Oh my god. Jesus Christ. This is a bizarre team. This is such a bizarre team. And I I I just I just don't I just don't understand. I don't either. I really don't. Like the Red Sox trading Mookie Betts in um under the guise of payroll flexibility was a meme the second it happened. Um it was it was a, a side-eyed glance of a deal the second it happened and will be referenced forever. Um this is I I I'm tempted to say this is worse because even though Betts is a better player than Arenado, you know, we're talking about generational talents versus greats. So it it's it's pretty steep. Um we're pretty deep in the talent pool here here already, but uh Betts, you know, MVP guy every year, uh, Arenado top five MVP every year. Like, you know, we're talking splitting hairs a little bit here. Um, but God, what they got back. I mean, at least the, the Red Sox got back a major league starter who played in right field for them the whole season. And who has a, a, you know, an upside that you can build around, you know, Verdugo is at the end of the day, a top prospect and a guy who, can be a, I don't want to throw out, you know, a special, but he could be a, a high-end starter for them during be his good. career. Yeah. Austin Gomber is probably the best prospect that the, the Rockies got back, and he's a back-end-of-the-rotation kind of pitcher. Yeah. And, and you know, the, the Red Sox, in addition to shedding um, Betts' payroll, which, again, side-eye glances all around, uh, they got to shed David Price's payroll, who had had a decent career up in Boston, but um, had struggled a little bit and was being paid a lot of money. And the Red Sox decided that they weren't going to be good for a couple of years and moved on from him as well. And there was, if they're if the guys that they were operating under was shedding payroll, they actually did that. Um, if the guys for the Rockies is shedding payroll and they managed to only save a hundred and 
$49 million over the course of six years. Uh, why? Just like it, it, it's just not worth it. I, because like at some point, you're going to have to pay for fucking talent. At some point. Because you know what? These fucking guys, they're not the goddamn Rays. They're not. These guys are idiots. I don't know who works for the Rockies underneath the GM. All of them fucking suck. And I'm blaming all of them for this because someone should have fucking grabbed Jeff British by the goddamn ear and yelled in it until he fucking stopped. Because this is lunacy. This isn't just a bad trade. This is fucking lunacy. I, and just because, and just, oh, you know, I, I saw British talking about how like Arenado wants out of here anyway fuck that then do your job because this isn't even trading him for spite you gave him exactly what you what he wanted which is great like you know power to the players here but like you got nothing you did nothing you didn't do your job every team has players who want out at some point or another right now the Houston Texans are going through a very similar situation in which their marquee player wants to leave the team. And you know what the Houston Texans are doing? As it appears anyway, do fucking diligence. Probably getting quotes from other teams. They're saying they're not going to trade him. All this other shit. And Nothing. still are trying to find ways to keep him. Yeah, they're working with him. They, they fire the coach. They're, they're, they're trying to bring in new people to entice Deshaun Watson to stay. Oh my God, they're not... Oh. I, I mean, and you know, if if you are in the front office of the of the Colorado Rockies, I don't know how you stay. And if you're looking to join baseball, I don't know how on earth you're going to pick the why on earth you'd pick the Colorado Rockies for a front office position. I I mean, why would you willingly join the front office of a team that doesn't give a shit about the players that you're spending all of your time scouting, analyzing, deciding the value of, and assigning money? to that to the um on the field value. If if yeah. if everybody in the analytics department spoke up and, and told Jeff British this was a bad idea and that he should go fuck himself and Jeff British is anyway, why would you stay? Why mm -hmm. why? Why would you join? Why? This that's why this is bad for baseball. And if you're a franchise player or if you're a marquee free agent looking to sign with the Rockies and they offer you a long term expensive deal, you look right back and saying Hey, if they did this to their franchise, homegrown player, the face of their franchise, the best player to put on a Rockies uniform, what's stopping them from doing this to me and trading me to some shit franchise in two years? It doesn't matter if I signed an eight-year contract. They see all that money on the books, and they're just going to try and get it off immediately. Why? This is only going to hurt them in all facets of, of the game. And, and it's not, not good. En they're not good enough at drafting to build a team solely through drafting. No MLB team is. There's just no way that this is a good look for them as a team, top to bottom. T to B. T to B, baby. And and you know it's not just free agents. It's also it's also their own guys. Like how are you going to come up through the Rockies farm system and then buy a house in Denver? How are you going to come up in in, in the Rockies farm system? I mean, you could if you're making Arenado money, but like, at, <laughs> like, but I mean, I'm like presenting it in a funny way, but I'm being serious. Like, how do you say 
you know, to you, to your wife, your girlfriend, your husband, whatever, like, yeah. Um, no, the, uh, yeah, the Rockies traded Arenado after giving him a fat contract where he, he probably thought he'd spend his whole life here, but I'm different. No, no. If they're doing this to him, they're going to do it to yeah. all of you. There's, there's, there's literally no reason for a Rockies player to buy real estate in Denver again. Come back and bite him in the ass immediately. Like they're gonna. Uh, this is like um, when they were when they tra- were when the Marlins were trading their uh, their their superstar outfield, and they were um, getting lopsided returns for various players because they were trying to shed payroll. Like um, imagine a world in which Trevor Story gets a better return than Nolan Arenado. Uh, I. And you know if if they did, they'd probably be like, ah, well, we're not trying to shed stories payroll or whatever but god damn it is it's just going to be such a bad look in every phase of this it's awful sorry you were saying uh i think i got cut off i don't remember where i was when you stopped being able to hear me like right at the beginning oh perfect uh i was basically saying how i don't see how so right at the beginning of which part uh you talking Okay. Did I talk about free agents at all? Yes. Yes, I heard all the free agent talk. Okay. Uh, But, I mean, looking forward for the next 10 years, I don't see how there's any way for the Rockies to, you know, make this deal and sniff contention. I don't, like, they'll be lucky to sniff the playoffs, let alone a championship caliber team. You know, 10 years is a long time, and a lot of things happen over the course of 10 years. Look at where the Padres were 10 years ago. But I have such little confidence and so much faith in the Rockies' ownership and front office to not make correct decisions, both objectively and subjectively, that I just I'm confident in saying that they're not going to touch um, contention status in the next ten years. I think you raise a great point. Um, Arizona has been doing a lot of trading, and I think that they have been building well as a result of it they have not broken through because that division's insane but i think they're doing a pretty decent job um the giants are also been on the come up some of their young stars are looking better and i think they've also been um doing a very nice job of getting good value on their trade returns so those are two long-term issues uh potential roadblocks that the rockets are going to run into the dodgers are probably never going to be bad um because you have to look at them as West Coast Yankees. They have money and a great analytics department. And the Yankees went through leaner years while never finishing below 500. So I'd expect that of the Dodgers as well. And the Padres are going to be trouble for, I don't know, the next five to eight years, depending on how long they can keep um, young talent um, controllable, affordable, and on deck. So I don't, yeah, you're right. I don't know when the hell the Rockies are planning on ever competing because if they were looking to be the next wave of teams post Dodgers and Padres, well, say hello to the fucking Diamondbacks and Giants because they're right there to fucking stop you. They're, they're, they are racing themselves to the bottom. That's all this is. Mm-hmm. They are racing. Nobody else in that division is trying to be bad. They are racing themselves to the bottom. And we'll bottom out while everyone else is in an upswing. And you're right. They're not going to sniff the fucking playoffs for eight to 10 years. 
it's ridiculous that you know I I understand that not all teams can afford to have high value players and have large contracts, but the fact is, you know, Arenado's contract isn't that extravagant and is completely fair for the level of player he is for the type of player he is and if a team is going to commit to signing to one of those deals and then all of a sudden gets cold feet and says no we can't like there needs to be repercussions for that or else the game is gonna it's gonna lose its own respect and value and god like baseball struggles enough as is we talked about it with keith you know last week about you know we need to grow the sport and allowing teams to operate in this capacity and, and with this kind of mindset is not going to do it. No, oh God. I mean, this is genuinely like I was, I was upset at the Yankees for not being more involved in these, in the two Padres trades that we talked about a few weeks ago, because the value seems so reasonable. Um, and the, uh, Dollars seem to have been able to fit in what the Yankees felt as though they had to work with. But I also understand that we're operating on margin here and $11 million might have just been more than they wanted to do, blah, 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 blah. Um, This, I'm not mad at any of the 28 teams not involved in this trade because this isn't about the competitive balance of this trade. It's about like the, it's about the morality of this trade. Mm Mm-hmm. It is just so otherworldly fucked up. Um, God, I, um, I I completely agree. You know, and you know what? It 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 doesn't matter if uh, if um, fucking Mateo Gill or Elohiris Elohuris Montero become the next Nolan Arenado. It doesn't, because no one's projecting them to do that now. Mm-hmm. And process over results. Right, exactly. This is ridiculous. This is not the same. You know, Jared Kalenic is going to come up in Seattle. And he's going to be a really good player, and Seattle knew that's what they were getting in Jared Kalenic from the Mets when they traded Robinson Cano. If if Jared Kalenic doesn't pan out, it's part of the game. If he does pan out. To some degree, that's what you expect because in baseball, there's no such thing as a sure thing. But they bought a guy that had upside, that was known upside, that was major league potential upside, and people knew that going into this. No one is expecting, from at least what I'm hearing and reading, because as we, as I've said before on the show, I'm not the greatest prospect reader. I'm not hearing that same type of hype around these guys. There's no, the, I'm not hearing that value around these guys. Yeah, and it's not close. No, you know, we're not hearing a handful of people saying, oh, this is actually, you know, a sneaky good deal or like these guys are going to sneak under the radar, but they're great prospects. Like we're not hearing anything about them being top tier guys or being guys that will come back and contribute in the future. We are only ever hearing, holy shit. This is ridiculous. And I don't want to say, you know, the media is always right because we know they're not. We know they're not. And we know these kinds of things can't be predicted well. We know this. But at the end of the day, when 100% 
of guys who dedicate their lives to watching baseball, baseball prospects, and baseball trades. And not a single one of them can look at this and find a silver lining. There's an issue on hand. I, I, I fucking guess we'll see where this goes. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's uh there's a lot of other things that we have to talk about since we um spent the first episode of this this month talking with uh Keith McPherson from uh John Boy Media and the Pinstripe Strong podcast about the Negro Leaks. I didn't get a chance to talk about any of the uh you know news topics. Uh and this upcoming Sunday, also uh shout out to Keith again, that's episode two sixteen, it's the previous episode. Listen to it, check it out. Um and this upcoming episode, we'll be having an, uh, another guest. We'll be joined by uh, Max Greenfield of Pitchers List. Um, we'll be talking about some some pitching statistics. It'll be a lot of fun. Um, chances are we will also likely not be talking too much about other you know news topics. There's other things that are happening. You know, Tanaka's left the U.S. and has gone back to Japan. And um, we do have one hockey topic we're going to try to bring up here real quick. Um, but it, uh, we understand, you know, there's a lot going on, which is great. We love having news, but it's, it's been tough getting to all of it recently. Um, but anyway, that being said, uh, Corwin, tell me about what's going on with Marco Rossi. Yeah. So this was something, uh, I initially thought about bringing up before last week's podcast, when we had Keith on that just turned into such a great conversation again. Thank you, Keith. Um, that we just decided to push it and, Basically, the big news here is, you know, Marco Rossi was a, a top 10 pick in the NHL draft this year, was a guy that was projected to go even higher, fell a little bit for, you know, who knows whatever reasons, you know, hockey's weird like that, um, but was basically projected to come in and compete for the Wilds' number one center position, you know, directly out of camp. Uh, you know, his first year in the league, which by all means, everyone thought this kid was going to be a star. You know, he was like 0.01 points per game behind Alex uh, Lafreniere in the AHL, CHL, OHL hockey league last year. Um, absolute offensive superstar, was a special kind of player and is now out for the remainder of the season because of complications from COVID that he tested positive for months ago, uh, over the summer. You know, he was cleared to play in the World Juniors, played, didn't play all that well, looked off, um, and then went to take his physical for the Wild and failed because of those uh, medical Issues, You know, they haven't come forward with the specifics of, of what he's been suffering from because, again, that's, you know, private medical information. They are do not need to share that information. Um, but it's just the first, not the first even, because we've seen it with guys like, you know, Eduardo Rodriguez, a pitcher for the Red Sox. Um, we've seen it with a couple different players, but this is, you know, a very young, healthy, promising guy who, you know, could have been a Calder contender in the NHL this year, who is suffering after, you know, feeling healthy, thinking he was healthy, and, and really suffering from long-term consequences, and is now unable to even work out or practice in any physical capacity 
for the next six, eight weeks while he recovers. Um, and it's going to be something that, you know, the, the biggest reason we I wanted to bring this up was this isn't going to be the last time we hear this. This is going to happen more and more as we're seeing the long-term effects really, you know, crop up and, and more players are, are falling under these circumstances. And it's seriously going to affect all levels of professional sports. And we don't have a solution to it yet. You know, yes, the vaccine is out. Yes, you know, less and less people are testing positive. Yes, leagues are getting a little more comfortable with their COVID restrictions and what works and what doesn't work. But, you know, we have numerous NHL teams that are all shutting down um, after successful playoffs because of significant number of players testing positive. I think the Devils have like 20 players on the IR because of COVID or, you know, on the COVID list. It's going to be a serious issue. And, you know, we're just going to have to sit back and, and see how this unfolds. Yeah, we, we, we've been hearing stories kind of like this for a little bit. Eduardo Rodriguez missed out on this entire um, MLB season because he developed a heart condition due to contracting COVID um, that just sidelined him for the, the whole season. Uh, and, you know, these, these, are, these aren't just people. You know, these are athletes. These are young people in their, you know, late teens and, and late 20s uh, who are in the best shape of their lives and they're having these types of problems it really can happen to anybody um and i know it's easy to feel like maybe we're you know turning a corner a little bit um you know it's a new year it's a it's a new administration um sports are picking back up but we're still here we're still in the middle of this it's it's we're worse now than we were in summer and the sports leagues were playing in bubbles in the summer. Um, so I, I would like to see the NHL do something for Marco as a sign of good faith. I know that they won't because it'll probably be seen as an admission of guilt, which will open them up to a lawsuit and all they care about is money. Ah, uh, because don't you just love how the world's around that? Um, but it's a very sobering and shit reminder of the situation we're all universally in, and it's got long-term impacts and uh, uh, implications for this young man's career, which hopefully, hopefully, won't be over before it starts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anything else you want to discuss with hockey? Uh, I don't think so. I mentioned the other day the Rangers are mediocre, and I think we'll end up firing Dan Quinn. But that's all I have to say so far. Um, it's uh, I miss having Henrik Lundqvist on this team. I feel like he was part of the reason, in addition to uh, Benoit Allaire, why our backup goalies were always so great. And now it's like a goalie battle, but um, it shouldn't happen between Alexander Georgiev and Igor Sturkin. But fucking whatever. Uh, no, but no, I have nothing else. You? No, nothing nothing important. All right. Well, then we'll call it a wrap on today's episode. Um, so, again, this Sunday, Super Bowl Sunday, um, as we will be recording, we'll be joined by a guest, Max Greenfield. Um, check him out uh, on Twitter. He's uh, at GreenfieldMax18. 
Um, he is a writer for Pitchers List. He's a frequent member on the Breaking Balls podcast. Um, he'll be joining us to talk about pitching stats. So tune in for that. Check it out. It'll be a lot of fun. We're really looking forward to it. And um, we'll be talking about the Super Bowl, which will be taking place on Sunday uh, in Wednesday's episode. So, you know, we got a, or I guess Thursday's episode. Fucking whatever. So we got a lot of fun shit coming up. We hope you guys are having fun alongside with us. And uh, yeah, yeah, that's that, That's it for this episode. So if you want to follow us on Twitter, you can do so at Juicing Pod. If you want to hit us up via email, you can do so at JuicingTheNumbers at gmail.com. And, uh, and until... Monday. Jesus. Y'all have a good one. Bye.